You're listening to the Mind Your Business Podcast, episode number 130. Today, I'm going to share with you the six ingredients to attracting a stellar team in your business. So, stay tuned. Hi, I'm James Wedmore, and I've built a multiple seven-figure internet business that offers the financial freedom to do what I want, when I want. And I'm the first to say that hard work and hustle are not essential ingredients for your success. So how do you build a thriving business from the inside out? Now with over 800,000 downloads, this is the Mind Your Business Podcast. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? James Wedmore here. Welcome to another extraordinary episode of the Mind Your Business Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. My name is James Wedmore. I am your host. I am recording today's episode on Thanksgiving Day. I am here with family out in Palm Springs, California, taking just about the whole week off to relax, to be with family, to reflect, and what a perfect time to talk about gratitude. Now, obviously, this episode will air right after Thanksgiving has finished, but hopefully you can integrate This vibration, this energy, and this feeling, this way of being of gratitude into your life daily. It's a discipline, and it might take some conscious effort at first, but it's so important, so important that no matter where you're at, you are finding ways to feel gratitude, to feel that feeling of immense overwhelming gratitude. Why? Why is this important? We hear it all the time. Be thankful. What are you thankful for? Be grateful. So here's my logical left brain motivating reasons why gratitude is so important. I heard this a long time ago that the energy of gratitude is the frequency of receiving. It opens up the doors to receive more. Why? Because there's no neediness when there's gratitude. Do you feel needy and wanting and wishing when you're grateful? No. And when we're in this state of neediness or lack or observing what we don't have, then we get more of what we put out. So if you're putting out, I don't got enough. Why hasn't this come in yet? Blah, 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 blah. You're just going to get more evidence of that. You're going to get more experiences of that. And you're going to get more reasons why you should continue to feel that way. It will perpetuate neediness. So if that's true, guess what gratitude's going to do? It's going to give you more experience, more evidence, more people, more places, more things to be grateful for. It is literally the frequency that just unlocks receiving. So don't just be grateful for one day or an hour or two on a holiday. What if we could be this way every single day? Speaking of gratitude, something I'm so grateful for is everything that took place during our live event last week. So if you've been following along in the podcast, you know that we just hosted My last episode was at the eve of hosting this event, but we just hosted the largest event that we've ever done. Oh my goodness, 220 plus people showed up, flew across the world. We had a huge contingent from the UK, 
We had people from Australia. I had someone from Germany. We had our Canadian friends to the north. People flew in from all over to the little, little beach town, my hometown, same as my hometown as my wife, Laguna Beach. And we packed this venue full of amazing people for three days. And it was incredible. It was so awesome. So incredibly awesome. And I'm humbled. Like the feedback was amazing. People were saying this is the best event they've ever attended. I mean, come on, that's crazy. But I'll take it. I'll take it because it was the best event I've ever put on. (laughs) That's for sure. And it was so amazing on so many levels. Gosh, it created an environment for our attendees to do things they'd never done before, to think a little bigger, to play a little bigger. They knew that they were around like-minded individuals, individuals that could inspire them, hold them accountable, and let them know that it's okay to fail. It's okay to leap. It's okay to try new things and that nothing's going to happen to you. You know, all that fear that drives us, the people around us back home that question what we're doing, that don't get it. And to come to an event and be surrounded by a bunch of other people that are up to big things just gives you a little bit more of a push, a little bit more permission to do the same. And that's what people got the opportunity to experience, which is just so incredible. But there was one moment in particular that was my favorite moment of the entire three days. And it's what is inspiring today's episode of the podcast. So, I mean, maybe you could go like look at some of the pictures on social media. We posted a bunch. But if I could give you a mental picture of this event, we had this extraordinary venue, brand new venue for us. We'd never used it before. It is decked out with all the nice, fancy lighting and backdrops. We had Our logo was blasted in light onto the back wall. We had, you know, cameras and amazing sound and decorations and beautiful tables. I mean, it felt like we were going to a multiple six-figure wedding, right? Like, like this cost a lot of money for someone's wedding. It was just this beautiful, beautiful venue and all these people in there. And at the end of the three days, I invited my team, my entire team, to come up to the front of the room for the first time. So some of them had been really behind the scenes. Some of them were a little bit more visual. But at the end of these three days, you got to see who were behind the scenes making this event happen. And there were like six of us. (laughs) Six people get to the front of the room and they all got this huge standing ovation. This was my favorite part by far. And I think my favorite part was because it's kind of this like surprise ending (laughs) <laughs> to the to the event you know the way that the event was pulled off and the experience that was created you would have thought there were 30 or 40 people behind the scenes making this happen no just five or six of us just a handful of us making it happen and i was so proud of them especially for the fact that none of us up there none of us have any event planning or event running or event design experience. In fact, if you rewind the clock 14 months, just about a year ago, 
We had never done a single event in our lives. And the biggest event we had done before that was 60 people. So we went from a 60-person event, having only done those three times, to a 220-plus person event. I was so proud of them. And it's just a handful of us. And so that's what I want to talk to you guys about today, is about attracting and creating an extraordinary, stellar team, and how you can be an extraordinary leader. Now, a lot of people won't find this episode relevant. They'll want to skip this, because the entrepreneur is always just excited about that new idea, that new possibility, that new launch funnel mechanism, whatever that's going to make them money. And I remember years ago when I was spending hours in Barnes and Noble bookstores looking for books on how to market better and how to sell more effectively. I'd see those books about managing and leading and how to be a leader. And I just thought, boring, boring, boring. Please don't let that be you. Please don't do what I did because I can't stress enough. Look at the symptoms. Everyone is saying how overwhelmed they are, how exhausted they are, how there's so much to do and just so little time. These are the problems that are plaguing the industry. And I want to talk to you guys today about how we have been able, we as in my wife and I, have been able to attract a small but stellar team that can run circles around most people and their teams. We do things very differently than most, very differently than most. So even if you have that voice in your head, those objections that are coming up and saying, I'm not ready for this yet, James, I don't have the money for this yet, this will be great when... I just can't afford anybody else, blah, 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 blah. Those are all just stories. No, James, that is a fact. That's my, This is what my bank account looks like. This is what I have budgeted. It's all story because if we rewind the clock in my journey, the first year I started, within six months, I went out and I hired my first team member. He was a virtual assistant from the Philippines and I paid him $70 for 40 hours of work a week. a week. That's who I started with. Okay. He's been with me ever since then. And I've employed his entire family. I pay him considerably more today. And it was that letting go of even just a few tasks way back when that allowed me the space and the time and the energy to focus on the bigger things, to step into more of a visionary CEO role. So no matter where you're at, you can start attracting a stellar team. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. It's kind of six bullet points, six ideas, six thoughts that will help you step into what it is like to be a leader, even if it's being a leader to one part-time virtual assistant. You got to start somewhere, and that's a perfect place to start. Let's talk about this first idea, which is just something I want everyone to accept. You can't do this alone. You can't. That's something I tell my students inside Business by Design. You can't do it alone, and you shouldn't be doing it alone. 
But here's the challenge. Here's kind of the catch-22 is for an entrepreneur, this really is a catch-22, for an entrepreneur to truly thrive as an entrepreneur, there needs to be so much support around that individual to get rid of the stuff that's going to drain them, that's going to frustrate them, that's going to take them out of their zone of genius. But entrepreneurs suck at building teams. I have seen it so much. And the more you become a better entrepreneur, the more effective at being an entrepreneur you become, the more you really suck at being a manager. And so this becomes the like really tricky catch-22 conundrum that we're all faced with. And what I realized is that I had to shed so much of my identity as an entrepreneur in order to become a leader. It's almost as if you can't be both, right? Because so many of those people have that idea. It's like, oh, it's better if I just do it myself. If you want it done right, do it yourself, right? And then there's that phrase that I love, which is if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. And sometimes you got to sacrifice fast in the short run because you really want to go far. And that's what I discovered. That the first step to being a leader, to building a team, to attracting a team, is you must accept the inevitability that you have to slow down before you can speed up. And I know that that's hard. I know that that can be really hard. It's going to have to go slower before you can go faster. In fact, when I look back, there was a stagnant growth year, like two years ago, where we didn't experience any growth at all. And I realized it was because we were so inwardly focused on how to build a better company culture, build better systems and structure, and invest our time and energy in growing our team and their abilities than just looking at the bottom line. And now that we've done that, it's like, it feels like sky is the limit. Okay. So that's the first thing is you can't do this alone. And you can start wherever you're at. Start to notice the tasks and the activities that are draining you. The repetitive things that you do every single week that you're like, please, if I have to do this again. And start there. Record a screen capture video of you doing that assignment. Hire someone on a website like upwork.com or onlinejobs.ph and give them the work. Imagine what getting just an hour of time back a day can do for you. An hour back to spend more time daydreaming, goal setting, networking and connecting with the right people, teaching, working on that vision. That takes us to the second point I want to talk about, your vision. Now, we all have a vision. I think the very nature of an entrepreneur is the ability to see things that others can't. In fact, I think there's a direct correlation with that. Bigger and quote-unquote better entrepreneurs just have bigger visions. And they hold fast to those visions. But transforming from an entrepreneur to a leader is about your ability to communicate that vision. Entrepreneurs on their own is just about having a vision. Leaders can get others to see that vision as well. And why that's so hard is that takes time, right? I think as an entrepreneur that's always suffering from not enough time-itis, I'm overwhelmed, I just got to get it done, isn't going to have the patience to slow down and share that vision with others, to wait for them to get 
what you see. And you just hurry up and do it. That was me. That was me. So you got to have a vision. And you all have one. You all have one. But I think two things need to happen. Number one, you need to communicate that vision. Even if it's just, even if it's just writing it down and when someone comes on, they just, here, here's a like vision. Here's what we're working towards. Where are we going? What is it that we're creating? What will it look like when it's done? But also, can you make that vision a little bit bigger? Can you make that vision bigger than just you? Because that's another vital component is that vision has to be bigger than you. Hey, here's my vision is, uh, this is make enough money so my wife and I can travel the world. <laughs> no one else is going to really care about that but you. So can the vision be bigger than you? There's nothing wrong with having your own desires and goals. I love that. I'm all about that. But when you create a vision that's about changing an industry, changing the way people think, improving their quality of lives, leaving a legacy, others are going to want to be a part of that because they're going to want to do that too. So what is your vision? Now, once you have that in place, you're going to want to start to attract and groom extraordinary people. There's this cliche quote. I always hear these cliche quotes, but there's so much truth in these. It says you want to hire slow and fire fast, right? You guys have heard this before. Hire slow, fire fast. I have found so much profound truth in this. Every time I ended up having to let somebody go, it was because I hired them too fast. And when I let them go, I said, man, we should have done that sooner. Hire slow, fire fast. So let's start with that hiring slow piece. Remember, if you want to go fast, you're going to have to slow down. And most people, most entrepreneurs are too impatient. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Let me just, just here, let me throw some money at the problem. Let me just throw some money at you and just fix it. So here's the first thing we've got to get. When you are hiring, whether it's part-time, full-time, whatever, if you're an entrepreneur, they are not. Yet we treat them the way we expect to be treated. We are wired completely differently. Most entrepreneurs don't want to be managed. They don't really want to be told what to do. They don't want structure, but great employees do. In fact, they crave structure. This is why we have to shed a bit of that entrepreneur because they are not us. They are dying for that type of structure. So we don't want to hire us. Now, one of the things that I feel like has been my superpower, and I've been able to use it in a lot of different areas, is my ability to see potential in others. I think I've had a unique advantage in that over the years, I didn't take the advice I'm sharing in this episode, which I wish I had. And I just did it all. I learned how to write copy. I learned how to program. I learned graphic design. I learned how to be the face of the business. I learned how to make videos. I learned everything. So I knew what it took to do every single position. So when I saw someone else who was really good in certain areas, I knew exactly where to put them. And most people don't. Most people don't. So that's why I talk so heavily about the Myers-Briggs personality type. Now, I have an episode. We'll link it up in the show notes. It's episode 20 where I talk all about how to identify your personality type and then what to do with that, which is episode number 21. I use this so heavily, but the first thing I want to say here is that nothing is perfect and absolute. I don't use this as like 
you know, the answer. It's more of a guideline. It just gives me a little clue. It gives me a little indicator into who someone is. I am concerned first and foremost about who this person is. I want to get their world. I want to understand them. How do they see things? What do they enjoy doing? What are they good at? What are they going to be good at? Where are they going to thrive? And I can do that a lot with Myers-Briggs. So that's one of the first things that I look for is what is their type. And let me give you some examples of this so we can really drive this home. So one of the letters in the Myers-Briggs, there's four letters and there's two options for each letter, which would mean there's a total of 16 types. Now, listen, I know you don't want to be put in a box. You're a unique, special little snowflake, but there is a lot of truth to these and it's fascinating. One, of course, is the E versus the I, the introvert versus the extrovert. But let's look at another one. This is my favorite one to look at, the T versus the F, the thinker versus the feeler. This is the right-brained individual, the emotional, creative, you know, the person that wears their heart on the sleeve versus the left brain, which is logical, robotic, scientific, linear person, linear thinking. So who's going to be better for customer support. If you're looking for a customer support person, who's going to be better? The logical left brain scientist or the right brained, emotional, empathetic, creative? It's the F. It's the feeler. Why? Because 90% of the time when someone writes into customer support, it's because they're having a bad experience. Couldn't get my login. I want a refund. This isn't working. Blah, 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 blah. And you need someone in your customer support department that has compassion and understanding and a little softer around the edges. Not the left brain, I don't understand why you can't figure this out. This is so easy, <laughs> right? So we put our feelers, our Fs in customer support because they have compassion and understanding and empathy. And you should be doing the same. So this is one simple, easy, OMG way that we can just use these type of things to start to put people in the right roles, okay? So now that you know that someone's an F, a feeler, would you put them in a programming role? Would you give them the tech position? No. 99.9% .9 of every feeler I've ever met, my wife is one, she's an ISFJ, would never want to go in anything that has to do with math, science, programming, or numbers, so why would we do that? This helps me so much, okay? So I spend a lot of time there. But ultimately, over time, it's really helped me to tap into where someone's potential gonna lie. Which brings me to the third thing I wanna talk about when, it, when we're talking about this hiring process and sifting through looking for extraordinary people. My wife uses what has been called the mailroom strategy. And this is flawless, flawless, it works so darn well. So we're not going to go, we're not going to make the whole episode about like how we do the hiring process in terms of like, we, I mean, we just put things on Craigslist. You know, I'm not, it's, we don't have to overcomplicate things here. She puts an ad in Craigslist for either a part-time assistant role or a part-time customer support role. This is the mailroom strategy. We start our people off, our team members at the I mean, I don't want to call it the lowest level, but the like the entry job position. 
And anytime we've deviated from this, we've had a problem, <laughs> okay? So we start every member off. If you want to come in the company, you have to start at the bottom. UPS does this, by the way. I actually used to work for UPS in high school. If you want to go up the company, if you look at the executives, the high-level managers, they all started out as one of the, I forget their official titles, but they were the box carriers, not even the guys that drive the trucks. They're the guys that are lifting the boxes from the warehouses and stacking them, packing them in the trucks. Let me tell you, folks, that was the most hands down grueling job I've ever had in my life. Because if I can paint a picture for you a moment, you're in one of those giant trucks. Now, next time you're driving, not the brown, pretty cool trucks that drive around the neighborhood. I'm talking about the huge 50 foot long semi trucks that are 10 feet tall and 50 feet long. Huge, huge semi trucks. You would go to work at seven o'clock at night, which was perfect because I went to school during the day and you'd show up about 6.30 to 7, and right at 7 o'clock, this giant bell would ring, and this huge chute would, like a giant tongue, would go into the back of the truck. You'd be in the truck, and for three hours straight, a waterfall, an avalanche of boxes, every shape and size, and weight, and you had no idea. Sometimes the biggest boxes weighed a pound, and sometimes the smallest boxes weighed 100 pounds, are just overflowing into your feet, like knocking you to the ground, hitting you in the face, and it's you alone, and you have to code every single one of these boxes. You gotta scan them in, and you gotta stack them like a 3D Tetris game for three hours straight until the entire back of this truck is full, top to bottom, 50 feet. I mean, it's a three-hour workout. I would drink two Red Bulls before so I could be like pumped up and I got in the best shape of my life because I'm just, you're dripping in sweat the whole time. So you had to start there. So your managers, the execs, the president, you know, all these upper level people all started there. And we do the same thing. We do the same thing. And here's why. As I was talking to the founders of Kajabi and I'm, you know, I always talk about Kajabi. I love the software, but the reason I love the software not just because of the software, but because of the people behind it. I've gotten to know not just the founders and the creators, but their programmers and the other people on their team that are amazing. And one of the things that one of the founders said to me is, is you know, because I'm so impressed by the team that they've built, and they, is they said to me, James, you know, what we've noticed is that the more we try and ask others to step up and take on bigger roles, it never works. So we wait for them to demonstrate their hunger. If they come to us, looking for more responsibility, if they take more initiative, then those are the people that we look to promoting. And that's exactly why this mailroom strategy works is because some people will come in and they'll stay there, but other people will be hungry. They'll take initiative. They'll take things on their own or they'll ask you for more and they will rise up naturally. You will feel them giving you that what else can I do? Can I do this? Can I try that? Let me do, what is, how did you do this? Oh, I want to learn more about that. And those are the people that come up through the ranks. So it's almost like a two-part interview process, the way I see it. First, we're hiring for that first mailroom position, if you will. But then for them to go hire up the company, their job performance becomes the second interview to see if they're going to go up or not. And that has worked so well. And anytime we've ever had a problem is because we skipped that process. We didn't use that process. So I could go on and on and on and on here, but there's so much that can go into the process of finding the right people. And the last thing I'm going to say here is there is something to be said about who you are that attracts others. Huh? 
that really starts to get your head scratching. I think there's really, really something to be said that the people you attract are really a reflection of you. That's something I've noticed with so many people. All right, let's move on to the next point. Once you got the right people on the bus, as they say, we need to make sure that you've created an environment for them to thrive. This is the biggest thing that I've learned about creating a great team. You know, it's first about getting the right people on the bus, right? I think this is from the classic book, Good to Great, about getting the right people on the bus. Once you get them on the bus, it's about putting them in the right seats. And this takes time. This isn't always immediate. But here is the quote, the philosophy that changed everything for me and really got me to step into a true servant leadership role. The quote says, when a flower doesn't bloom, you do not blame the flower. You blame the environment in which it grows. Why this is so powerful is because that's what human nature is. When someone doesn't turn something in on time, when someone doesn't follow directions, when they're late, it's human nature. It's hardwired in our brains to identify that person and judge them as that. He's always late. She doesn't follow directions. He's irresponsible. And then with that label and judgment created, you can't see any evidence of the contrary ever again. That's who they become for you. No, but James, he's late. Always. He's lazy. But what if we tried something different on? What if we tried on a new perspective? Let's look at this quote again. When a flower doesn't bloom, you do not blame the flower. Why? Because it is a flower's natural tendency. It's the job of the flower to bloom. What if, if you had the right people, See, there is that step one is the right process for getting people on. But what if it was the natural tendency of your team to bloom, to flourish, to thrive? What if that's all they wanted to do? In fact, for those of you guys who have a team, if you were to just get a little inquisitive, you'd find out that that is the case, that they want to help you succeed, that they want to win. They want you to win. They want you proud of them. They want to do a great job for you. But sometimes we just don't know how. So we must look to the environment, not the flower, not the person. So instead of blaming the person and making judgments about the person, can we look to the process? Can we look to the communication? Can we look to the way things are being done and ask better questions? And you can put it on them. Hey, I know I've asked for this twice now and it didn't get done. Tell me, is there something that I'm not doing right? Is there something that could be that we could do better so that these assignments can get done on time? Now you don't blame them. You put them in the same boat with you as, hey, we want, we need to get this done. We're on the same team. And that's another thing, by the way. I talked to Jilly, our number two. She's our integrator and launch manager, is that she noticed that I don't use the word employee. I don't use the word staff. I call everyone on the team a team member because that's the way I see us. If you ever played a team sport in high school, it didn't really matter. Yes, there's a team captain, but it really didn't matter what position anybody was. Sure, there's always a quarterback, but it doesn't matter how good that quarterback is. If there's only eight people on the team playing, you're not going to score any points. It's about the collective whole, us working together. And when 
someone scores a touchdown, we all not just partook in that, but we all win. That's the difference between a team working together versus a dictator telling everybody what to do. And that was the biggest thing that needed to shift for me. So how can you do this? It's not about creating the perfect environment because that's impossible. The environment is created perfect through the mistakes, through the challenges, through the communication blocks, and it's built over time. This is about creating an environment for your people to thrive. It's about caring first and foremost that you give them everything they need in order to thrive. And if you feel like you've done that, if you can honestly look at yourself and say, I've done everything I can to give this individual, this person, the tools, the help, the support, the training they need to thrive, and they're still not where I want them and I'm not seeing progress, yeah, then it's time to have another conversation. But until you go there, you're missing something. All right, let's move on to the next one. This is huge. Oh, this is the ultimate ultimate lesson. And this is why entrepreneurs really, really struggle with a team. And this is the concept of just letting go. For my perfectionists out there, oh man, this is especially hard because I'm a recovering perfectionist. But we have to be able to let go of the wheel. Let go of the way things, the way we think everything needs to be done. Because if you're always got your hands in everything, if you're always meddling in all the tasks and activities, then they're never really fully going to thrive. And what I noticed is that when I was doing this, that they just started giving up and not even doing the work anymore because they said, well, I know you're going to come in and change it anyways, or you're going to do it better than me anyway. So what's the point of even doing it in the first place? Wow, that was a huge smack in the face. And then I'm sitting there going, well, what's the point of having a team if I am going to do it all myself, right? But we can't do it all ourselves. So there is a direct correlation with your ability to let go and the ability for your team to step up and lead themselves. Part of letting go means you're going to have to be okay with them making mistakes, public mistakes, things that could hurt you, things that could cost you money. But can you look at the bigger picture? Making those mistakes are good because when they make the mistake and they're the right person because you had the right hiring process, you know they're not going to make it again because they care, plain and simple. All right, and the last thing I want to talk about is giving a shit. You have to care. You have to care about your team. I mean, you don't have to do anything, but I think that's what's made such a difference for us is we truly, truly, like real, really care about our team. In fact, one of the questions we ask them in their interview process and then we follow up with them on this is I I ask them questions like this. If this were the best job in the world and you're at a cocktail party, you're hanging out with your friends, what are the things that you would brag about? Most people can't even answer that. It's so foreign to them because that's my goal is I want everyone on my team to brag about their job. I want them to say, I have no, I have a better job. And here's why. And it's different for all of them. It's different for all of them. So I'm constantly looking at their happiness levels, at their levels of fulfillment. Are they enjoying the work they're doing? Are they happy? Are they feeling fulfilled, lit up? Are they in their zone of genius? I want them to be like entrepreneurs. I want them to create and experience new things within the company. 
And then when they come to me and they're like, yeah, you know, to be honest with you, because there's just this open communication channel with me. And they say, I'm not really liking this. I dread this part of the day. I think the mistake most people would say is, well, tough. That's your job. Do it. And we don't do that. We say, great. We're going to dad it, right? We're going to either delete it. Can we delete it? Can we just get rid of this thing? Do we really need to be doing this thing? Can we automate it? Can it somehow be automated through software so you don't have to do it manually? Or can you delegate this? Can you give this to somebody else? And I give everyone in my team in the office access to virtual assistants overseas that they can hire part-time, freelance, whatever, and they can work with them. And they know that. They know that if they're not happy in their job, that's on them because they haven't communicated it to me because we want to keep them happy. We also want to do awesome stuff for them. So we're always doing like team retreats, team activities, fun things, little things, big things, you name it. You know, we take them with us on our adventures and excursions. We're taking our affiliates to Costa Rica in January and some of our teams going to be coming with us. They get to experience that with us. Now, you might not be at that level yet, but you can always be at the level of caring about them, about asking and supporting them. What do they need? How can you support them in having a better experience, in falling in love with the job? So there you go. These are some of my thoughts for the day. First, you can't do this alone, and you're going to need to shed a little bit of that entrepreneurship to become a leader. It starts with having a vision, a vision you can share with others. And then it starts with the right process of attracting and grooming extraordinary people and creating an environment for them to thrive. When a flower doesn't bloom, you don't blame the flower. You blame the environment in which it grows. Then you have to be willing to let go, let go of control, let go of you thinking you have all the answers and it's your way or the highway. And you got to care. You got to care about them. Really, really care. Leading has been the most challenging thing I've ever done. It's also been the most fulfilling and rewarding thing. And for me to stand up on stage and watch our team, which has zero marketing experience, they were insurance agents and fast food delivery drivers before coming to work with us. And to see what they've been able to accomplish, to see what they did with this live event to see how many lives they impacted and changed because of their dedication, because of the love that they put into their work has hands down been the most fulfilling, rewarding, and extraordinary thing. 99% of us didn't get into business so we could manage a bunch of people, but it ends up being one of the things that we have to do. So you can either resist it and try and avoid it, Or you can just lean into it full on and start to fall in love with the process now because it is inevitable. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. Did you know eight out of 10 businesses fail within their very first 18 months? I believe being an entrepreneur means unlearning everything that we've been taught our entire lives about what it really means to be successful, which is why I've created a brand new audio program entitled Activate. I want to show you how to think, 
act and behave like the successful entrepreneur that you were meant to be. So you can step into the vision that you have for your life and your business. And the best part is this program is yours absolutely free. To register right now, simply visit www.jameswedmore.com forward slash activate and we can get started right now.